Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. Just uh, reading your Tyrell Terry thing. Oh, like, you know, yeah. I'm not a far from a draft expert, but I was checking that out earlier. You did a great job, as always, on the draft stuff. I appreciate that, man. I, I that's uh, had a yeah. lot of fun writing that, man. That kid is very, very fun to watch. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see kind of where he ends up. Um, so as uh, anyone who listens to the show knows, you know, Chip and I have been going through an A through Z NBA series. Uh, especially since uh, play has stopped. And we've been going through the teams in alphabetical order. Um, you know, we, um, we, were gonna, we, had, we were gonna have somebody from the Jazz on. It didn't work out. We're gonna try and figure that out. Uh, so we moved on to the Sacramento Kings. We have a very talented writer that we're bringing on. Very pumped to bring to the show. Uh, Sanjess, uh, who writes for the Kings Herald. How you doing, man? How's it going? Doing really well, man. Thank you for asking and thank you for having me on too. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, we were talking a little bit offline about the Kings season, and as we get into um, the restart, which we, we hope will go forward, um, I think a good place for us to start was, you know, based off a tweet from The Ringer that had come out at around, yes, and you already know what I'm talking about. So uh, on June 26th, The Ringer had put out a tweet, and they, they felt like they were asking a fairly innocent question, you know, who's going to win the A-seed? You know, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, um, or the Trailblazers, and the Sacramento Kings are sitting there like, whoa, 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 like, wh- what's going on? Like, you, you guys forgot about us? Um, so they, they currently sit at 28 and 36. I believe it's three and a half games out of the playoffs right now. Um, it's been a very interesting season for the Kings. You know, I think, I think most fans, and you certainly let me know if, if I'm reading the room right, um, would say that maybe this is a little bit of a step back from last year, but, but you know, they, they are in a position to potentially make the playoffs. Um, and they finished off the last 20 games on a 13-7 and seven run, um, and that's where we're kind of at right now. So the way I kind of want to start this pod is just to get from your perspective, what exactly do you think are the, the Kings' chances of making the playoffs, and what, what things kind of have to roll right for them to do so? I think the main thing, the main competition is going to be the New Orleans Pelicans, of course, because, you know, they have Zion Williamson and the Pelicans also have the easiest schedule in terms of the strength of the schedule record. And so the Memphis Grizzlies have a tough schedule coming up and the Kings have, um, the Kings have defeated them, like, I think three to one in the four game series they played this year. And the Pelicans um, are going to be playing the Kings twice in these upcoming eight games. And so... Based on what we see in those two matches, the Kings probably need to at least win one of those. If not, ideally just split that series. But the Kings do have a good chance. They just have to, you know, stick to their strengths rather than trying to, you know, develop anything or prioritize Marvin Bagley's return right now. The main thing is let De'Aaron Fox do his thing. Um, Try to bring back pace into the team as well because we saw last year under Dave Yeager that this team could run teams out of the building with pace and with De'Aaron Fox electrifying up and down the court. Um, finding Buddy Heald for open looks from three. And now they have Rashawn Holmes back, and he's healthy, ready to go. He was very underrated for the Kings the entire season. Um, so if they can – the one thing the Kings have had a really big issue with this season is playing down to their competition mm. and losing to teams they should have beat. Um, the game where things kind of started falling south for them was against the New York Knicks at home. They had a 16-point lead in the third quarter. And 
where they just let it evaporate and stunk it up in that last quarter and lost the game. And then after that, it was kind of like a downfall from there. And pretty much the Kings are just trying to find identity all over again. And if the Kings can, you know, they start off playing the Spurs. And the Spurs are going to be without LaMarcus Aldridge. And they're already pretty thin um, in the front court depth. And so the Kings, on the opposite end, are now stronger because you know, they just got back Rashawn Holmes. Over Bagley is supposed to, uh, supposedly ready to go. And the Kings, throughout the season, they, besides Aldridge, they dominated the other big men that the, King, or that the Spurs had. And so that placed their strengths now. So can they prove it by beating the teams they should be beating and getting off to a strong start? Because if they lose this first game, then things are already going to be you know, tough going on. Yeah, I think um, I think those are all really good points. I think you lose that first game, and it's really a tough when you're already in a disadvantage and kind of in the whole three and a half games with tough competition coming up ahead. Um, it's very important for them to to get off to a good start. Um, being that you know they they have some interesting depth at the guard position, like and I know you you mentioned De'Aaron Fox. Besides De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, who would you say really really has to step up? in order for them to make that a possibility? At the guard position, it's definitely going to have to be Bogdan Bogdanovic. Um, he's battled through various injuries over the course of his last few seasons because he's always playing basketball. When it's the offseason, he plays for, you know, the Serbian national team or he's just, you know, constantly getting involved in other leagues. But with the whole coronavirus pandemic, you know, there was no sports going on at all. So it provided the chance to rest for three months for Bogey. And now that he's coming back, we saw what he could do in the, um, the People World Cup just this past summer when he was tearing it up for Serbia. And the Kings are, I mean, I know the court sizes are different, but he was killing it from three point, the three-point range as well. And the Kings are definitely going to need his offensive production. They can't afford him to be, you know, consistent for a few games and then falling off for a few games as he had an issue with this season. Like, he'll go for a good spurt of, like, you know, double-digit points in, like, four straight games, shooting well from beyond the arc as well. And then the next game, he just falls off and then disappears for a few games until he finds his rhythm again. But with only eight games to play for, you know, he has to be consistent in these um, eight games. So if the Kings can get that out of Bogey, if Bogey can come back, be healthy, you know, he's arguably the Kings' second-best playmaker behind De'Aaron Fox because he has that elite court vision he can set things up for bigs and make things easier for them with alley-oops and pick-and-roll plays. Um, so if he's healthy, that's going to be the player to watch for the Okay. And another thing that you brought up uh, when we were talking about kind of the, the Kings returning to play here was pace. Um, and I think that, that ties directly to, you know, De'Aaron Fox, but also Luke Walton. And I know, you know, me and Chip were talking offline and we had, you know, um, we had a, a question that we had both kind of come up with. I want to let him ask it for sure. Um, so, Chip, why don't you uh, let I, that Luke Walton question? Yeah, it was just surprising to me because, I mean, I don't watch that many Kings games, them being on the West Coast. But it, I saw their, uh, they were fifth in pace last season and second in transition possessions. And then this year they're 25th in pace and 14th in transition possessions, which obviously you were alluding to before. And I know they obviously took a step back. They We just talked about how they went 13-7, and seven, but uh, they were 15-29 and 29 to start the season. And, and you know, they, they looked really good under Dave Yeager, I thought. I know Jeff likes Dave Yeager a lot. We, uh, we both were talking about him coming to the Knicks before the Knicks kind of filled out their interview candidates. Uh, I just wanted to get your opinions of Luke Walton as a coach because it seems like they were really hot on him. They hired him almost immediately after the Lakers fired him. So you're much closer to him than we are. What do you think of Luke Walton? So it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, there was no, like, hiring process when it came to Vladi choosing the coach he wanted after firing Yeager. And, you know, as soon as Walton became available, he snatched him up. But... You know, and then we kind of like Kings Twitter in general kind of got excited for this idea that, oh, Walton is a player's coach. You know, the players came out and greeted him when he first came to Sacramento. And it looks like things are going to be going well for them. You know, like they finally had a season worth rooting for after what, like 12 years. They didn't make the playoffs, but they had a lot to root for. They had a lot of youth. They had a lot of momentum going into March, which is something they haven't experienced in a long time because they're usually out of it by December or January. And so when you lose a coach like that, um, you're kind of risking it 
you're risking it all necessarily for the next season. Like, how is Luke Walton going to perform? Because he hasn't coached much of these players before, and he's essentially taken on a new project. And so when the season started, the Kings opened up 0-5 with a lot of disappointing losses, especially with the Charlotte Hornets. And that, like, he, Walton already was under, like, the hot seat by many Kings fans. Like, they were supposed to take a step forward, but with every step forward they take, Walton is making them go two steps back. Um, as the season progressed, the Kings started to get more injuries piling up. So, you know, Marvin Bagley was already out with a thumb injury after the first game when DeAndre Aiden, um, I think, like, fell on him or stepped on him. And, you know, after the game, uh, Aiden was, you know, found to be on um, substance-enhancing drugs. And so Marvin Bagley was out, and then you lose De'Aaron Fox to an ankle sprain, and De'Aaron Fox is what makes this team run in terms of, you know, the production from other players as well as the pace itself because he's probably the fastest player, you know, in the league um, in terms of, like, running down the floor. And when you lose that, then you lose all the pace that comes with it. And so when Fox goes out, then you bring in Corey Joseph, and that's not on Walton because, you know, he didn't ask for Fox to get injured, but how does he... You know, um, what does he do now with his scheme now that his best player is out? And so the pace had to get slowed down more because now Corey Joseph is a starting point guard and he has nowhere near the same pace that Fox has. Um, and that led to more, you know, um, more uh, Buddy Heald becoming an initiator, which I have a piece coming out on soon. Um, it didn't work out, but Walton stuck to it for some reason that I really don't understand. And... Um, Bogey dealt with some, you know, inconsistent injuries there um, that took him out of the took him out of the field. And Marvin Bagley, one of your best rim runners, he goes out. Um, they signed Dwayne Dedman to complement Marvin Bagley, but with Marvin Bagley being out, Dedman just completely fell out of the rotation, and that's what allowed for Rashawn Holmes to come through. Um, Rashawn Holmes became one of the most underrated centers in the league, if not maybe a top fifteen prospect. Um, he was blocking shots. He was dunking on everybody setting good screens, finishing at the rim at a very high rate. Um, and so when the Kings started to get some of these players back, when Fox's injury wasn't as severe as we thought it would be, the Kings started to run a little bit more. When Fox was feeling, you know, more better with his ankles, um, you get Marvin Bagley back for a few games, but you lose him again. Um, and then Fox gets four minutes with Buddy Heald, who run, likes to run a lot to find his open looks for three. And you saw over, like, the last probably two-ish months, the Kings were starting to rise up in their um, numbers and pace. I don't know the exact numbers, but they were trading upwards. Uh, or, uh, Walton was more comfortable running these players more often. You know, Harrison Barnes was becoming a guy that would run down the floor as well, um, getting good looks from threes, setting people up from the post. Um, these, player, these players were developing chemistry with each other uh, in half-court sets, as well as, you know, trying to punish teams for not being, you know, set properly on defense. Um and that's why the Kings in the last ten games of the season they were seven and three. Um, I know the Lakers and Bucks were like the Lakers and the Bucks were the only teams that had better records than that. Um, so I know the Kings aren't going to be at that same form when the season restarts, as is the case for everybody else, because you know you haven't played basketball in more than three months, so we don't know where the pace is going to lie and how fit these players are. But pace is going to be probably the Kings' biggest weapon, and if Walton weaponizes pace against other teams and the Kings have a really good shot at making a run for the eight I think um and I you know one of the things I'm I'm thinking of as you're talking is is Buddy Heald like he's such a big part um of their offense and he signs a very lucrative four-year extension um in the beginning of the season and you know it, it was very much up and down for him you know I, I was doing a little bit of research and I didn't really realize how good he was last year um, you know, he was really an elite shooter uh, off the dribble and from a standstill position. And some of the percentages dipped this year. Uh, it seemed like he had a little bit of a falling out with Walton, um, you know, was was on the bench. I know that the field goal percentage uh, and the three-point percentage dropped. And I'm interested, you know, kind of how much this question is going to overlap with your piece that's coming out. But is it... Is it overly simplistic for me to say that Buddy Heald struggled this year because he was given more ball handling duties, he was more of a primary initiator, um, and his usage went up? Is that really just it, or is there something else there? Um, so for what I was looking at today and the past few days really is a misusage of Buddy Heald. 
because last year when Buddy Hield was thriving is when he was away from the ball. So when when you talk about players that can set themselves up for good looks, Buddy Hield the way he does it is he does it without the ball. So he's always running, he's always using screens to get open, um, tiring out players by constantly running along the baseline, trying to find places to you know spot up and get that shot. And when I was looking at the footage, most of the reasons why he wasn't you know shooting well is because he was dribbling a lot more often. He was being asked to be an isolation scorer, but that's not playing to his strengths at all because he's um, he's a pretty lackluster ball handler. He dribbles very loosely. He doesn't shield himself when he needs to shield himself. That led to a lot of people getting easy steals against him. Um, he would often force the issue by hoisting up a tough three rather than trying to bring the ball back out and resetting the play. Um and also, Fox being outplayed into that factor as well because with Corey Joseph, he's not—he doesn't have the same court vision that De'Aaron Fox does. Um, he doesn't, you know, bring the same gravity on offense that De'Aaron Fox does. Right. When players get attracted to his speed, and that lets Fox, you know, whip it out and find Buddy Hield for an open look, and that chemistry was just, you know, gone because Fox wasn't there anymore. And Buddy Hield tried to rely on himself more rather than letting it come naturally to him, I guess. And that's what I kind of dove into in my piece is that if you're going to restart the season, you want to use Buddy the way that he should be used. And that's going to be using him as a shooter, not an initiator, because the initiating just didn't work. I mean, there were instances where it did, but the cons outweighed the pros in this instance. And um, I looked at the numbers and Buddy killed when he took zero dribbles when taking a shot. Um, he shot 40.9% from three, and that came on 30.9% of his attempts. And so when you can, those numbers are way more pleasing than I thought it would be because, you know, he was shooting it way more often than um, he was last season as well, and his percentages have dipped as a result of that because he's not getting the same looks as it was last season. But a lot of the King's success is going to fall on Buddy Heald, you know, being an elite shooter that he was last season and replicating that again during this restart. Most definitely. Yeah, for a guy with a usage percentage as high as his is, his free throw rate is super low. That's something that I noticed about him. And his free throw rate actually went down this year as his usage percentage went up, which is very rare to see something like that. He needs to get to the free throw line more because he shoots like 88% from the line. So he needs to draw more contact, get to the line more. That's just something I noticed about him. Yeah, I remember during the summer league, um, the Kings were broadcasting the game, and Buddy Hield was like a guest speaker. Like they brought him onto the broadcast booth, and he was talking about one of the things he wanted to improve was he wanted to get to the free throw line more at a higher rate. And the mark he set for himself was five, five attempts per game. Um, but yeah, he, he needs to get better at that because that really hasn't been there. But he's arguably the Kings' best free throw shooter, um, best shooter in general, but especially from the free throw line. Um, yeah. I know Yogi Ferrell is up there too, but um, yeah, Buddy Hield sees way more minutes than Ferrell. He needs to be able to draw contact, but I think at times he gets afraid of contact and tries to get rid of the ball and you know not be responsible for trying to draw that contact and stuff like that. Chip, is there a... Um, I, I know we were also talking about uh, Bagley uh, and Giles. Was there a, a question regarding one of those guys you, you wanted to touch on? Uh, Bagley, Giles, and we brought up Holmes, too. I read your, yes. uh, I read your Holmes uh, film room piece i really like that i was i really like that so i wanted to bring that up everybody should check that one out that was great most definitely uh so i wanted to ask you about that uh i liked it um i also noticed like i know holmes and De'Aaron fox have great uh metrics this year when they're on the court together they obviously have great chemistry and uh you mentioned like holmes's percentages in the restricted area are ridiculous like he's money near the rim crazy good and it's pretty obvious he's not much of a shooter uh marvin bagley as of right now not much of a shooter maybe the shot will develop we don't know he's very skilled obviously but uh do you see a potential front court of bagley and holmes in sacramento is that possible the, the only way i see it's possible is if that one of them can develop an outside shot um, much of that is going to contribute to being able to keep Holmes long-term because I know Vladi Dibak signed him using the MLE extension. And so he's only here for one more year after this season. But after that, it comes financially difficult to retain him for longer. But 
Holmes has been solid this season, and I know Holmes has shot 35% from three before in Philadelphia, I believe in the 2015-16 season. But after that, uh, the three-point game just diminished from his, you know, arsenal of weapons. And he doesn't so, take it anymore, right? Yeah, he doesn't yeah. take it anymore at all. He's been practicing it. I've seen his videos, but he just doesn't do it in real, like, you know, real-life games, kind of like Ben Simmons. But um, with Marvin Bagley, I know he was trying to get out last year, and he improved as the year went on. And I know he was in the high 30s to end last season before, you know, injuries kind of got to him. But this season, it's been way worse because he just hasn't been able to develop that consistency with it. And he'll take like one shot a game and not make it and then have that same result produced for over the course of three games. That's obviously going to, you know, drop your production in that area. And so the re- the, the way the Kings wanted to handle Marvin Bagley was surrounding him with a front court partner that can shoot the three ball. And that's why they went after Dwayne Dedman the way they did and handed in that, you know, large amount of money. But after one game, you know, Bagley goes down, and then after that, Deadman just kind of forgets how to play basketball. Like, he couldn't make simple passes. He couldn't catch balls thrown right at him. He couldn't shoot from three, the three-point range anymore. And it was all just stuff that, you know, you can't, like, understand really. Because, like, this guy was, you know, balling out with Atlanta Hawks. He comes to the Kings, and then he just stinks it up. And I know much of his success could have, you know, been better with Bagley being available, but that just wasn't the case. And so now Deadman's gone and, you know, Bagley, we still don't know who Marvin Bagley is right now. And it's, you know, the end of his sophomore season. So that's, that's scary on both ends because we don't know how good he can be or we don't know if he'll ever be good. And that's just a scary thing to think about, you know, when the Kings had a second, uh, the second overall pick. And so now you're left with this dilemma if Holmes and Bagley, or Holmes and Bagley are arguably your two best bigs, but it's hard to see them, you know, cohabitate on the floor together without one of them being a threat from outside because they're both, you know, paint occupiers. Holmes is tremendous at finishing inside the rim, but the only shot he has outside of the paint is his patented push shot. Um, Kings fans will know what I'm talking about with that one. It's kind of like a little meme. And Marvin Bagley's mid-range jumper, as good as the jumper looks, it just hasn't been hitting a lot recently. And I know he said in recent press conferences that it's been improving, but we need to see that on the floor. And I'm confident that Bagley can be good. I just hope that he's healthy enough to show it. Oh, I wanted to piggyback on um, on Bagley there because I think it's such a huge um, topic, and you know, I'm sure point of contention amongst Kings fans, like the development of Bagley, like what is his ceiling, like. With Jaeger, he even fell out of um, you know favor with Jaeger. I think Jaeger had him on the bench, and that led to front office issues. Um, they were upset with how he Bagley was being used. Um, but you know things started off well, right? Like he he was averaging fourteen and seven. I believe he was like one of two teenagers ever to average those numbers. Um, but he's like I was trying to look at the numbers from three. He's like thirty of ninety six, which is thirty one percent for his career. 69% from the floor, I mean from the free throw line, doesn't really stretch the floor as of yet, but he, he has the skill set, like you, you when, when the shot goes up, it doesn't look bad, it's not like his form is broken, he's not much of a rim protector, with all that being said, within the context of he was injured this year, so and he, no one can really say what a 20 year old is or is not going to be, but based off what you've seen from him, like my, my question is two-pronged, do you believe in Marvin Bagley as a future whether it's stretch five for this team uh, or not, do you think Luke Walton is the right person in charge to get the most out of him going forward? Um, I don't know if I can give you the direct answer just yet. I think maybe I'll have a better answer if, you know, the season is able to restart and right. we get to see more of that because, you know, Bagley has only played 13 games under Walton and those were like all over, like those 13 games are all over the place kind of. Right. Because um, he's dealt with, you know, various injuries. And so Bagley was getting in, getting into a little of a groove um, after he came back. Like, I know in February, like, they played the Miami Heat, and Bagley put up 15 points, 15 rebounds, and he made this great putback play that, you know, kept the Kings' lead intact. But the Kings eventually lost the game. But he that was arguably his best game of the season. And then, you know, shortly after that, he's announced that, you know, the ink for his uh, injury has gotten, you know, worse, and they're going to have to keep him out for three weeks. And so we... I think the way, when you mentioned Dave Yeager, the way he used him was coming off the bench, right. playing against the other backup players of other teams and seeing what Bagley can do. And Bagley, you know, would impress. And the eerie thing about 
Bagley's numbers from last season and the stuff that he's put up this season is that they're pretty close. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but like I was looking at some of the numbers a few days ago because I'm going to watch some more of his tape, you know, in a few days. But the points are similar, the rebounds are similar, you know, the assists are kind of similar, and the shooting percentages are a little similar too. But this year, Bagley, like the eye test, at least he's looked like he's, you know, um, decreased in play more than he did last season. But the numbers kind of say otherwise. And part of what the Kings need to see from Bagley moving forward is just being able to stay on the court. Because sure, if Bagley can, like, you know, we all see 2010, like 20 points and rebound potential in Marvin Bagley, but he hasn't been able to show us that he can stay on the court for, you know, more than 10 games playing, you know, more than 25 minutes a game. And so part of Walton figuring out how to use Bagley is can he be used as a starting center. Ideally, you know, Bagley has said he's put on 10 extra pounds of muscle. That puts him at around 240 pounds. Yeah. 6'11". That's, you know, um, around what Holmes is. He's taller than Holmes. He's around the size of Holmes. And can he compete and hold his own against some of the bigger and better centers of the NBA? Because if he can do that, then the Kings view him as a cornerstone along with Fox. So if he can do that, then that's going to be positive for Bagley going forward. Yeah, because, I mean, he um, he's, he's actually a very decent rebounder, right? I mean, like, the numbers are there for that, but it's just playing defense um, against bigs or, you know, even whether it's closing out to three-point shooters. I mean, that's that's something that I think has a lot of uh, development still yet to come for him. Um, I know when we were also talking about, you know, the, this Kings pod coming up, um, my guy Chip is a massive Duke fan. And uh, he loves, and, and I like too, I, I didn't know him nearly as well, but Harry Giles. Um, so I know uh, in preparation for this, we were kind of thinking of what to ask you about Harry Giles as well. Yeah, um, I'm Yeah, I'm a big Harry Giles guy. So I just wanted to know, whatever you have on Harry Giles, give it to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's good because Giles is probably like the most like loved player in the Kings fan base. Really? He okay. Reps. Nice. The way he, all right. The way he reps the city in like all aspects of life is just like so positive and a breath of fresh air because Sacramento hasn't you know really been the place where you know players are proud to you know rep being a part of that organization because of the dysfunction they faced over you know a decade plus. And Giles just does everything right. You know, from a fan standpoint, it's just a matter of him trying to find out who he is as an NBA player because. I don't think he can be who we thought he was going to be coming out of high school. And, you know, all the ACL injuries he suffered has definitely hindered his ability to replicate that level of success at the NBA level. He's struggled to, you know, contend against the bigger bigs. He's always getting into foul trouble. But he's probably the best passer the Kings have in the front court. His vision is just so elite. He can find cutters with bounce passes or lead passes with ease. Um, he'll give you like, you know, one or two, uh, good blocks every few games that, you know, just get you up off your feet. Um, he's able to, you know, finish off lobs at a very high rate. And he's also like, he's arguably this King's second best finisher around the rim. I was looking at the numbers and he's very close to Holmes, but his volume is just much less. That's the only downside. But the only, the only thing I didn't understand with Giles is why the Kings didn't pick up his option, you know, to keep him longer. So that makes him an unrestricted free agent. And I don't know how the whole salary cap issue is going to be because of the funds that, or the way the funds have changed with the pandemic. But if the Kings can somehow keep Giles, then we can see more of what he is because he's definitely not a finished product right now. I know he's been working on his three-point game. He's been working on his uh, long-range game from two-pointers. And that's probably going to be the next step of him developing because he can, he's a decent rebounder. He's a good finisher inside the rim. He needs to improve his foul rate because he fouls at a, an extraordinarily yeah. high rate. And, um, I mean, he's just an energizer off the bench. And the, the way the fans chant for him, besides Yogi Ferrell, is probably the best that the Kings fans treat any other player. And it's pretty cool to see. Sounds good, man. I, <laughs> that, I really wanted to ask you about Harry Giles because we're a huge pro Harry Giles podcast. We are, we are. And yeah, because I read your article about Harry Giles and you were you were talking like he may come back to Sacramento and I was like, but they declined his option. Like, how could he possibly go back after that? Are they really going to bring him back? Like, because we want him in New York. 
So I just – is there really a future in Sacramento for him? I don't know. Like, I, I think that also depends on how, you know, Bagley develops and how they can keep homes. Um, I know they brought in Alex Len and he's been doing good because he brings something different to their front court, a different level of intensity and strength that they don't all – like they don't have um, otherwise. But, you know, Giles is also different because, you know, like I've mentioned, he's the king's best passer um, and he's just an energizer off the bench that they don't have on the front court really. And I just never really understood the point of declining the option because he's still one of the younger assets the Kings have. Like, I know a lot of fans or, like, a lot of, you know, uh, NBA fans in general think the Kings are young, but the Kings aren't as young as they were when, you know, they had a lot of hype surrounding them. You know, Bogey has gotten older, Buddy Heald has gotten older. Really only, uh, really only Fox, Bagley, Giles, and Justin James are all in their young 20s. And we don't know what Justin James is going to be yet. Um, Fox is the player of the future for the Kings. We don't know what Bagley is right now. And we still have a long way to go for Giles because he's still so young. And I, I do want Giles to have a future here. But if he gets more money to go elsewhere where he gets the chance to play more minutes... Um, then I'm not going to fault him for that. But if he wants to come back to Sacramento, it's obviously going to be because he loves the city, he loves the fan base, and he just wants to rep this organization at a high level. I just want the guy to succeed. I've been such a huge fan since he was in college. So I just want him to play. I just want him to get minutes and play and be healthy. So mm-hmm. I just want no, him to like, be on the court. There's no way to hate Harry Giles. Like, he, the guy has no faults. Yeah. <laughs> How can you hate him? <laughs> yeah. He's so fun to watch. I just love he gets he's such a high energy guy. He's so fun to watch. It's impossible mm-hmm. to root against him. Mm-hmm. He'd be he'd be beloved. I was telling uh, my brother, who's a huge Knicks fan too, he'd be beloved if he came to New York. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. He'd be a fan favorite from day one. Oh yeah. Day one. Chip, I know you had a, a De'Aaron Fox question too that I wanted to make sure we get in here too oh yeah i did have a darren fox question uh he's i mean he's in my opinion he's like obviously he's one of the most aggressive players in the league he's uh top players and drives in the league and he upped his points average uh 20 points a game upped his upped his shots and he also upped his field goal percentage which is rare to up your shots and also up your field goal percentage but uh despite doing all that he's not mentioned in like the point guards in the game conversation like ever so I wanted you to know like where do you see his ceiling do you see him as like a perennial all-star guy or do you see him more as like a a Conley type where he's always mentioned as like the constantly overlooked underrated guy um yeah because the thing is I think Fox deserves to be in that conversation way more often than he you know gets left out from and Part of that is probably because he plays in Sacramento and the team in general, you know, as we mentioned earlier with the ringer thing, like they just forget the Kings exist because the Kings haven't really yeah. given any reason for the national media to know they exist. And so Fox completely, when Fox is drafted, you know, fifth overall, um, he released like a short video saying that he wants the king, like he wants to be the guy to bring the Kings back to the glory days. Um, and just recently, like in recent press conferences, he said that, you know, he wants to be here. Uh, for the long run, and when you have a guy that you drafted that high and he's saying good things about your city, you want to keep him around for a long time. And I think the Kings are going to, like, Fox is going to be one of the next players that gets that five-year max. Um, around, like, five years, $180 million is probably, like, the figure. And I, I, the thing with Fox is that he can be more aggressive than he already is. He tends to, you know, um, what's the word? Like, he tends to not, like, slack off on plays, but, like, he tends to be passive when he can be way more aggressive because we've seen in multiple games where he just has the ability to take over um, at any given moment. I think it was last year against the Atlanta Hawks on the road. Uh, Fox put up like a 35.15 assist, 10 rebound, triple double. And, you know, uh, it was against Trey Young and he barely really got recognition for that, even though he came in and he just dominated or He dominated all aspects of the game. He kept stealing the ball away from Trey Young, kept dunking it on other players kept making three-point shots as well. And though his three-point shots have regressed this season, back to his rookie numbers, um, Fox definitely has, I believe, all-star ceiling. And it's just a matter of fact that if Walton you know, can get him there 
And part of that is also going to be increasing the pace because Fox is at his best when the pace is um, super high. And that's what we saw last season is because he didn't look so promising as a rookie. Part of that was also because the Kings played George Hill way more until, you know, he was dealt. And then the team centered everything around De'Aaron Fox, surrounding him with shooters, surrounding him with bigs that can run with him, um, you know, giving him the ball way more. And if the Kings can continue to keep doing that, surrounding him with the talent that he needs to be surrounded by, then we'll be talking about Fox as, you know, one of the top point guards in the league. I know, like, John Moran gets, gets a lot of, you know, uh, credit as being one of the best young point guards, but I think Darren Fox should be in their way more because Fox outplays Morant, and you know he outplayed him in, like all the games they played this season. Yet it was barely talked about, you know, because it's Sacramento. And if um, if Fox can take continue to take leaps in his game, increase that three point percentage, he's probably going to be one of the most all around defenders. Um, I mean, all around players in the league. His defense is getting better too. There have been some instances where he's shut down like the opposition completely with using his chest and his very quick lateral um, lateral and horizontal speed on defense, very quick feet, can stay in front of everybody and anybody when he wants to. He just has to do it more often. Yeah, I even saw, to your point, um, I even saw that Sam uh, Bassini of The Athletic, who had ranked the Kings' core of young players actually as sixth in the entire NBA, um, which I thought was, was awesome. Uh, and, and he even said, he was like, don't be surprised if you see De'Aaron Fox getting some all-NBA first, def- you know, defensive team nods, you know, maybe second team, third team or something like that. Um, and that's really honestly what you want to see. I mean, me, Chip and I are both Knicks fans. And uh, I, I think when you get into year two and year three, uh, and, and for us, we're thinking of R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, right? So if you start hearing that their names are buzzing around all NBA anything, you know, most improved, whatever, you, you start to get the feeling you're like, okay, we have a franchise cornerstone. You know, we have something that we can really build on. Um, and then something else that, that you said that really stuck out to me is, um, you know, forecasting De'Aaron Fox being here for the long term. And we know that that's going to have to come down to dollars and cents, right? You know, when you have a kid that, that's, that is that good, you know, sometimes it's just um, – a formality, you're going to give him the max regardless. But the Kings have a really interesting salary cap situation coming up this summer, and I definitely want to get you know your thoughts on it. Um, you know, I was looking up and, and I saw that they have about 95 million committed in salaries for next season. Um, and I did see a report from a, from a, I think a, a writer named Jason Jones from the Athletic that said that the Kings are essentially going to match whatever offer that Bogdan Bogdanovich is signed to. So they see him as a long-term fit as well. The Kings are in a really interesting position because they have Harrison Book, Harrison Barnes on the books for a couple more years. Um, Buddy Heald is going to be there. I, uh, theoretically, Bogdanovich is going to be there. And you have De'Aaron Fox's free agency looming in the all, you know, not too far away future. I, I believe he's a free agent after next season. Um, how do you think that the Kings are going to navigate this? Like De'Aaron Fox, I understand like you, you can, cause they have his bird rights. You can go over the cap to sign him. Like I get that. But in terms of how you're going to build a team and specifically a successful team, like how do you think the Kings are going to navigate that? Or do you just see that as that's kind of part of the Kings dysfunction? You know, like that's maybe why organizationally they haven't been very well run for, you know, th- decades or so. Yeah, the interesting thing here is that the Kings do have a lot of leverage when it comes to retaining their own players. Um, I know Fox is like, there's no way they're not going to get Fox the max. He's going to get it. And they also, um, I don't know how much has changed over the last few months, but uh, like early in the season, they, you know, they touted um, Mark Bagley as a potential, you know, player that gets the max too when his time comes. But we just don't know how that's going to change, you know, if he doesn't improve his game. Um, and you know, they want to keep out on Bodanovich. And I don't think it's a good idea to get rid of your second best playmaker and arguably your second best offensive initiator. Um, that would just wouldn't be, you know, smart. Um, I know what the Kings could probably consider doing is, you know, trying to move on from Buddy Heald. It's, it's a possibility. Um, I don't know how much of a possibility it is, but they can move him and try to, you know, get some draft capital as well as trying to get, a player that can, a player like Tobias Harris, who's been mentioned, you know, as someone that could possibly leave Philly, 
were a better fit. Um, and honestly, like a healed and Tobias Harris switch would work very well for both sides um, in terms of contract fits because the Kings do need more firepower in their front court. And that's that's the interesting thing. Like, you know, they're who knows how much they financially want to commit to Terry Giles if they want to financially commit to him for longer. Um, how much are they going to put to Rashawn Holmes next year when his contract is up? Um, Alex Lynn as well. He's been very underrated this season in limited minutes, but do they want to keep him? But and you have Nemanja uh, Bjelica as well, who's getting older. Do you want to you know move on from his contract and try to gain some younger prospects as well? So the the Kings do have it all in their favor right now. It's I I think I do have a little positivity here. Not that history, you know, is influencing me because history for the Kings has not been very good. But the Kings have a very good chance to start rewriting some of their, you know, negative history and keeping these young players that want to be here and trying to find bits that can, you know, surround them to make a playoff push and, you know, be one of the young teams on the rise that is a serious threat. Yeah, I think it'll it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out, like, um, you know, salary cap management is such a big part of making your team uh, a perennial threat or just improving them. And I, I and and you know what? On from from a, a team building standpoint, as a Knicks fan, who's who I know Chip and I have both seen our organization give up too early sometimes on players and and not really commit to developing them. I like I like in theory what the the Kings want to do with with. You know, drafting homegrown talent and, you know, watching them develop and then making them get that second contract and, and seeing where they play out. I think the bigger question, it would be like kind of like what what, it, what would be a ceiling of a team with like Fox, um, Bagley, healed or if not healed, you know, Barnes maybe like in the Western Conference because that's the other piece that it's so difficult. Um, but I, nevertheless, I mean, I, you know, I think recent – success has been you know fairly promising i'll be interested to see where they go from that um but i know and and kind of transitioning from that we mentioned the knicks a couple of times here on the pod i know that um you know yeah always and we we never get away from it um but you know we we have scott perry as our current gm here and uh if if there was anything that that you knew um uh, about him i know that uh you know, Chip, we, we, me and him are always, we're not necessarily split, but sometimes we, we're always interested to see how other fan bases kind of view how he's doing or how he's done it's, in the past. It's interesting for me because when, like, I got, I wasn't that much into the, like, you know, the writing aspect and, like, you know, analyzing aspect of the Kings as I was when Scott Perry was around. So I, like, I honestly, like, the honest answer is I don't know too much about everything he did because, um, like, at, at the time, like, you know, a few years back, I wasn't into everything I'm doing right now, so I wasn't really, like, focused on all that. Right. But in terms of when you were talking about the ceiling of the team, um, they do have a long way to go, but there is a good scenario where the positive scenario is, you know, like, next year they could be competing for, like, uh, a sixth seed ideally, but the West is so brutal and tough that when teams, you know, get healthier, they get, you know, draft more um, draft picks on the roster – um, make more trades to become stronger. There is the worst case scenario where the Kings don't develop at all and they struggle to compete against everybody else and they're still towards the bottom of the West trying to, you know, uh, find their way out. But, yeah, it's it's a, it's a really weird time right now in general. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that for sure. Um, there was one thing, uh, you know, I, before, uh, before we let you go, um, I actually, I just realized I was supposed to start the pod off this way. Um, usually when we have writers on, we ask them to talk about their fandom a little bit and, and how they became a Sacramento Kings fan. Completely skipped that. For what reason, I don't know. Clearly, I, I just lost my, my mind, my alertness there for a minute. I wanted but. to ask about Luke Walton as fast as we possibly could. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Get in there. Get in there. Definitely. So do I talk about Luke? No, Walton? no, no. Uh, Oh. No, 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 no. We already talked about. It. Oh, I meant we oh, that was, to oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, at the beginning, yes. as fast as we possibly Again, could. see, I, 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 you know, I have no organization <laughs> yeah. up here, so I just forget it. It goes in one ear, one <laughs> yeah. ear in and out. So, um, but I did want to ask, just 
if you could talk a little bit about uh, what drove you to the Sacramento Kings, some some writers will say it's very simple as, oh well, you know, someone in my family rooted for the team, or I grew up around the area. You know, some some fans are transplants from other areas. So, what's kind of your story uh, in that vein? Yeah. So my dad was a Kings fan, but that didn't necessarily influence me because you know he had the Kings gear. He gave me some Kings gear. He took me to a few games when we could afford it, and um, I ended up initially going to the route of um, picking a team based on the color of their jerseys, and the team that stuck out to me the most when I was a kid was the Boston Celtics, because their green was just the most like unique of a lot of the teams, Okay. and I have, I have, their, uh, I have their banner right there. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, bought that, I bought that a long time ago, and... It was because of 2008 Boston Celtics, you know, with Rondo and oh KG and Allen and Peters. Amazing like, defensive team. I was, yeah, it was, it was so fun to watch them. And that's when I started to, you know, really like the Boston Celtics. And then I started to grow on from the color thing. And I started going to players more. And the team that struck me out based on their young players that were coming up was the Thunder with Russell Westbrook and Serge Ibaka and Kevin Durant. And how they were, you know, the team that kept threatening all the, you know, already established teams as, okay, we're the young team, we're going to come and we're going to, you know, give you a run for your money. And that's what really drove me to, like, the Thunder even more. Um, you know, and then now all the players are, like, growing and stuff like that. And then as I moved on from the Thunder, like, these are very, like, short-lived kind of things. Um, the Kings started to attract me mainly because of my hometown roots, because I live very close to Sacramento. And... Um, the years that I started getting into the Kings was when they had Isaiah Thomas, Rudy Gay, and DeMarcus Cousins. Mm. And, um, like, I didn't really know much of the history of the Kings, and um, as well as how dif- dysfunctional they were, like, you know, behind the scenes and everything. I was just watching the games when they, whenever I saw them on TV, and I started to fall in love with them, started to fall in love with the whole purple aesthetic they have going on, the whole purple, black, purple, black and white. And, um, you know... I just it just made sense to me from a logical standpoint to root for the teams that you know are close to home, and so also you know I have a lot of friends that are Lakers fans and I hate the Lakers <laughs> not because of the Kings just because you know I mean it eventually my Kings fandom drove me to hate the Lakers even more but I just never really had a liking for the Lakers really and part of that also had to do with the Boston Celtics rivalry so that played into that as well and um, you know, I started watching Kings games more often. I met DeMarcus Cousins at my local Jack in the Box wow. when I was a young kid. Um, that was a funny moment. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of went on from there. I just started watching more games. I never really got to attend games in person just because, you know, it's not as easy as a lot of people, you know, says it, says it is to attend games. And, um, you know, just watching them from home, just like, you know, on a Friday night, they're playing at 7 o'clock, you know, Pacific time. It was just my ideal type of Friday night, you know, just watch some Kings basketball. And um, it just went on from there. And then, you know, I got into starting to want to write about them more often. Um, you know, I played I played soccer and basketball, you know, growing up for like multiple years. And then I got hurt and then I wanted to stay with sports somehow. And then um, just talking about the Kings and, you know, you know, watching their games and then putting my thoughts out there. It would seem like a very intriguing idea to me. And, you know, things just led to another, like, you know, my growth. And then, you know, now I'm here on this podcast talking with you guys, you know, people from the opposite side of the, you know, country. coast. That's very, yeah. very cool, you know. <laughs> so well, that's pretty much how my Kings fandom has developed. So, yeah. Well, who's your favorite player of all time? All time? Uh, well, for the for the Kings, I mean, you, you could tell us your favorite NBA player of all time, but... Favorite, oh. favorite Kings player? Favorite Kings player of all time. It's probably going to be Kevin Martin. Really? Because, uh, yeah, Kevin Martin. Okay. Um, it's a little outside of the box choice, but I just remember, like, he was one of the people that I would watch with my dad when he was, like, you know, heavily into basketball. Uh-huh. Um, he's not as much anymore, and I don't blame him because there's not much to read about for the Kings in recent years. Right. But <laughs> when he was watching them during their prime, like, 2005, 2006 years, and after that, when Martin, you know, was a heavy player in their rotation, then I just really loved watching his shot, watching him make these ridiculous plays. Um, his shooting form was very different, but something like weird shooting forms are always very interesting to me, and that's what kind of made me stick to Kevin Martin and his explosiveness as a shooting guard. Um, he was just a bucket getter, and, you know, that's what made me love him even more, you know, 
from a fan standpoint as a kid that was just trying to get invited by somebody. So, yeah, it's my choice. I think my uh, my favorite Kings player, I, I dude, I love Jason Williams, man. Jason Williams, watching sure. him, Jason watching Williams. him pass is one <laughs> of the greatest things ever. Especially those early uh, 2000s, late late 90s. I mean, like he was he was an entertainer on the court. The off the elbow. Oh my and Rachel God. France missed the layup. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Just just imagine if you know we had him playing in today's NBA, how popular he would be. That's oh true. my gosh, really popular. Hopefully, we get somebody uh, drafted like that who kind of has that that flair and that and that skill again. Um, I don't know if they they'd let him play like that. If that's, any, that's if a good any point. coach would let a guy play like that, <laughs> that's, more. A, that's yeah. a good point. That's a good point, good point too. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Sanjesh, this, this was awesome, man. Seriously, and you talked about uh, you know it being it being pretty cool to get on the podcast and talk. It's it's cool for us, man, to have you on because, like Chip said, you know we were reading your stuff um, on the on the at the Kings Herald, and we really enjoyed it. Um, and the whole point of our podcast here is me and Chip we're we're hoop junkies. Uh, we're Knicks fans, but we don't like talking about the Knicks all the time. Uh, so the point of our podcast was to uh, really get writers from other, you know, uh, fan bases, just a, a chance to promote their writing uh, and talk about, you know, what their process is, their fandom, um, you know, and what kind of makes them tick. Uh, so it was awesome to have you on. If, if you want to uh, give anyone listening a chance to, you know, just plug your writing where they can find you on Twitter, uh, at the Kings Herald, you go go for that, and uh, and then we'll just kind of wrap up here. Yeah, so yeah, once again, thank you guys for having me on. Um, I can be found on the Kings Herald with my writing. Um, I'm also the sports editor at my university's newspaper, Daily 49er, if you want to check that out. And then also, I'm my at is the Sanjesh Singh. Um, but yeah. Awesome, man. Great, great stuff. Well, listen, um, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, we look forward to more stuff from you in the future. We will definitely be, you know, tweeting out some of your stuff, supporting you as well. I uh, hope you join the rest of the evening. And for anyone listening, Chip and I will be back, hopefully before the end of the week, with another pod. Um, so everybody enjoy and be safe.